for better or for worse, like Alana was always my moral compass. Like she was so thoughtful and later in life I kind of came to regret that. It felt unfair, like a lot of pressure. Breaking from overnight, Louisville police are searching for a missing 24-year-old woman. When I read about Alana Chen's disappearance, I couldn't look away. Hi, my name's Alana, and last summer I went to Camp Watiwa. This shy girl from Boulder who loved fashion and camping, <laughs> who wanted to be a nun since she was a teenager. So Alana was like sneaking out to go to church. All I thought was, wow, she's really, really conservative Catholic. But she kept a secret, one that was slowly tearing her apart. I didn't know she was attracted to girls. No, she didn't tell me. To me, it's like, okay, you're gay, be gay, drop all the church stuff, like, forget about it. But she couldn't forget about it, and neither could I. I, too, was torn apart by the struggle in my quest to become a priest. But though I'd never met her, I'd soon discover we had even more in common. Our Denver 7's Addie Guajardo sat down with her family, and Addie, they tell you they believe conversion therapy played a role. We believe that homosexuality is a symptom of early childhood trauma. We're not forcing people to change, we're just exploring. The mother says her daughter first opened up to a priest at her church when she was just 14 years old. However, the church denies any conversion therapy was done. She didn't tell me, she told him. She confessed to him. From Tenderfoot TV comes a story of teenage rebellion and spiritual manipulation the price we pay to belong, and the systems that pay no price at all. I'm Simon Kent Fung, and this is Dear Alana. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts. All right, well, that was the trailer for Dear Alana. I'm Tracy Kaplan from Tenderfoot TV, and I'm here today with Simon Kent Fung, creator, writer, host, producer, everything for Dear Alana. Hi, Tracy. Now, it's every time I hear that, I, I'm just overwhelmed again with just how powerful it is and how amazing Alana's story is. How did you first learn about Alana? So I was living in San Francisco at the time, and I was on my phone in a coffee shop and scrolling when I kind of found this news story about this young woman who had died and had gone missing. And um, she, you know, from, from the news reporting, had apparently uh, been a very devout and religious young person who also secretly pursued conversion therapy. Um, she wanted to be a nun. And part of, you know, in her, in her mind, uh, accomplishing that dream involved trying to change her sexual orientation. And so I remember I was just kind of uh, sobbing in the corner of this coffee shop, like snot crying because I felt really spooked about how so many of the details I was reading were basically my own. So I, I had uh, pursued about a decade of conversion therapy in my quest to become a Catholic priest throughout my 20s. And I connected to some of those details in a way where I felt like I can't believe I'm reading about this other person in this other other state and and so I, I immediately I think just uh, remembered that story and and that night ended up uh, looking for her family on Facebook just to see if there was any way I could um, connect with them in fact this is a, a little a little side story I 
at that coffee shop, I actually ordered flowers to the funeral um, because I was so moved. And um, for whatever reason, the flowers never made it there. Like the, it's, it was done through a third party and they, they said, you know, your order wasn't received or something. This was like a week later. And I was like, shoot, I, I didn't get it. But I and was, what year was this? When was this all happening? This was December of 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I like, yeah, basically um, looked for her family on Facebook, found her mother and was reading about, um, you know, some of the things that she was posting. And so I just, you know, felt like I could maybe offer some words of comfort and introduce myself and did that and shared a little bit of my own story. Didn't expect any reply at all. Now, how did you go from that first Facebook outreach to then creating a podcast all about Alana's life? Well, it was about a year and a half later. So I had at that point made contact with Alana's mother, Joyce, and we had started talking on the phone and texting. And I got to learn a little bit more about Alana and learned about, you know, the questions that her family still had about her death. They in many ways didn't understand or or know a lot of the details about what Alana had been concealing. And, um, you know, I think as, as, as much as they were connected to Catholicism, they weren't that um, devout as well. And so Alana really found a, a lot of interest in, in her faith in a way that the rest of her family didn't quite understand. And so um, fast forward to, to, to a year and a half later, I had just burned out of my tech job, which um, many folks probably in that industry and beyond can understand post-COVID. And so I decided to take a bit of a break and moved back home and was lying awake in bed at night. And it was 2 a.m. And I couldn't sleep because, you know, Alana, Alana's story just kept on haunting me. And I felt like there's so much that I feel like maybe I have some clues into maybe what happened but don't know for sure and at the same time had this real vivid impression of like I'd love for I'd love for there to be a way to document what it was what it can be like to be a young person struggling to reconcile these really important parts of themselves right their their sense of of their their faith you know as well as their their sense of their their sexual identity and so um that, that began the um, thought process of thinking about, you know, creating something that could capture that. And so I um, had this idea for a podcast and um, called the family and called, called their attorney and was like, hey, like, have this idea, <laughs> hear me out. And um, they were supportive. And that, that began the, the journey of um, flying down there. And... When did you realize that this wasn't just Alana's story anymore, that it was also your story? Well, I think, yeah, like one of the things that the podcast ended up becoming was this dual narrative that really compares and contrasts what I discover about Alana's life with a lot of the parallels and and sometimes not not parallels uh, from my own life. And I would say... That was not the original thought going into it. The original thought was, I'm going to tell the story as, from a really detached perspective and and be this kind of voice that just documents what happens as I as I learn about it, um, or as as we you know learn learn from um, 
from from talking to th those who knew Alana. And so that was the original intention. And, and we made three episodes and we had a listening session, uh, which Tracy, you were a part of. Yes, yes. Uh, in Boulder. And at that listening session where uh, an audience um, listened to, you know, the, the, the first three episodes, they, the, 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 the consistent feedback was, who is Simon? Right. More Simon. More, More Simon. Simon. <laughs> and like, why should we trust him? Who is he? What are his stakes? And that became like kind of the beginning of me writing more of myself into the story and disclosing more than I ever imagined I would um, in order to tell Alana's story, in order to help people feel connected to it and be able to relate to it in a way that by sharing my own anecdotal um, experiences of very similar things, people could hear that and be like, oh, okay, I, I, can, I can see why someone would feel that way or think that way. And um, so I, I think that was the, the way I kind of backed into telling my own story. Now you said we, so yes. who, who was the other person on this project who is amazing, I will add? So early on, I knew that I, as much as I had tried making the project on my own for pretty much the first year, um, I knew that I needed help. And Tracy, you were one of those early people I, I reached out to. For I was not help. talking about me as being amazing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> my mom's not listening. Don't worry. Continue. As amazing as you are, um, the 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 thing that I knew was that I, I wanted to find collaborators um, that would provide an outsider's perspective who who were not. Uh, Catholic or Christian, who may not even be very religious, but who could really offer, yeah, like a, a different set of ears in order to tell this, this very, you know, tell the story of this very specific subculture, right? So I, I really wanted the project to reach audiences inside and outside of the subculture, and so wanted that perspective to help me. Um, so one of the people that I was introduced to through a good friend and producer, Emily Shaw, she um, introduced me to a producer who happened to live in Boulder, Colorado, and um, got a hold of the pilot script and um, was immediately drawn to it. And, and long story short, we ended up connecting, and, um, and that person's name is Lori Poliski. She's, she's our producer. And amazing. And amazing, amazing producer and amazing person. She's also our composer. Um, she composed the score um, for Dear Alana, and it was her first um, her first podcast score for something of this of this scope, eight episodes. And um, and Lori's perspective was invaluable because she was able to not only draw draw my own story out of myself by by asking me questions and and being that kind of sounding board, but she also was able to like temper some of the very specific references and help me write, write in a way that could be accessible to a broader audience. Um, in addition to so many other countless creative, I mean, I think the people that were involved in making this show was a very small room, right? Mm -hmm. It was yourself, it was Lori, it was Donald Albright from uh, the founder of Tenderfoot TV. And, and because of the size of the, int and the intimacy in, involved in making something that touched on these very sensitive topics we were all i think we were all just putting a lot of ourselves into this project and and i think that you can hear that in the result 
So let's talk about Donald a little bit. So you are a first-time podcaster, uh-huh. Lori's first-time composer. Donald has made many podcasts. What was that collaboration like? It was really special, and I think Donald would agree it was really fun. This was kind of the irony of this kind of a project, which um, for as serious a subject matter and as... as, as um, you know, obviously uh, sensitive and emotional, the, sub- the subject matter, we were able to, like, we were able to collaborate and write and, and, and give feedback in a way that was, like, genuinely enjoyable. I think, I think we were able to, there's a little bit of perhaps gallows humor in what we were doing, but, but I think all of that, um, I, I really felt like there was a lot of heart from everyone involved, especially with with Donald. And Donald was there on top of running his company. <laughs> he was up at 2 a.m. with us, like, you know, in the in the script, like giving notes and and listening and 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 all of that was um, I think a testament again to how special we all felt this project was. Yeah, it's really special and debuted at number one on Apple Podcasts, which is super exciting. How was that for you? So in the first week, which we did not expect, I don't know if anyone had any expectations. I knew it would happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had very high expectations. Well, yeah, that's that's amazing. Uh, yeah. So like I was I was totally caught off guard, but within the first week, we hit number one on the charts and um, overall uh, for Apple Podcasts and the uh i don't think we were really able to process it like both Lori and i were just like wait what like um and and i think when things started getting real was when i started getting messages from people right it was when people were writing in talking about you told my story or you know i felt like you totally understand stood like i thought i was the only one i also wanted to be a nine like there were all these really incredible personal stories from people who um, connected to the very specific details of the show, and then also from people that really connected to it from completely different backgrounds, who were, you know, not religious in any way, or who really connected to the um, themes of, you know, belonging and 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 wanting to to find your place as your as as someone's coming of age, and and I think that's that's also what this project was was documenting, and so. Um, I'm still I'm still waiting through the, uh, the the many many emails and DMs from people who have been really vulnerable and sharing their own stories and have been touched by it and and that, that I think that was always our hope right that this would create something that people could connect to that I certainly never felt like I had heard or seen represented you know it's such an isolating experience to feel caught between these two worlds and um and to to be able to portray these subjects in a way that are that isn't that isn't dismissive or condescending I think that was really really important yeah I mean that's what really drew me to the project in the first place was just the fact that it was so nuanced and thoughtful and I remember you and I have a very early conversation about how much you still love your religion and are practicing and what it means to you. So just knowing from the start that this wasn't a takedown in any way, that it really was going to make you think about her experience, your experience, and not just be very kind of 
you know, one one note that there really was a lot of depth there. Um, how has Alana's family taken this, especially with now all the success of it? Yeah, so understandably, the family placed a lot of trust in me and, and in Lori and in the team because they, um, as you'll learn in listening to it, they they gave us access to Alana's personal artifacts, all of her journals. She left nearly two dozen of them and, you know, her emails and her phone. And and so that was a lot of trust given to given to me. And I really wanted to honor that. And at the same time, because they, you know, hadn't heard the podcast before it came out, there was a lot of probably, you know, pent up um, anxiety and uncertainty about it. When, when it did come out, um, I think what has been unanimous is the family and Alana's closest friends have all felt like a huge, breathed a huge sigh of relief and have felt like it, you know, really captured Alana. Um, Alana's mother, Joyce, unfortunately, hasn't yet listened to the series aside from the first episode. She just hasn't been able to feel ready to do that. Um, but she's been hearing secondhand from all the f- all the family and friends who have heard and telling her how how good it is. And so she's incredibly relieved. Um, I know her sisters, um, her older sister, has been listening to the podcast she's told me sort of on background um, twice already. and and she said she's learned so much about Alana that she didn't know before. Um, and so I, I feel really um, relieved also that they feel they feel like this honored. Um, Alana's memory. It's amazing, and and I'm sure just very hard and um, powerful for the family as well. Um, we have a couple more questions, but I just want to check and see if we have any questions in the room as we're wrapping up here. Maybe from an Emily Shaw. I'm totally putting her on the spot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm awful. Um, so Simon, as a so before you came upon the story, you'd never made a podcast before. Correct. What were the steps in figuring out how to make it? Great question. Yeah, so my background is in tech and in particular in, in design. So um, I know how to design and create digital products. Um, and before that, I had a little bit of background in documentary film. but. I've never made a podcast, as you said. And the first step that I did actually was call you, if you remember. <laughs> I called Emily Shaw, who I had met at that was uh, our, such a planted question, our prior yeah. place of employment. <laughs> and I said, Emily, who who is a podcast producer, what do I need to know to make a podcast? And I the the the, the actually the basic question I asked her before, well, in addition to all that, was what mics do I need to buy? Uh, because I kind of felt like I need to record this and then I'll figure it out from there. I love that you jumped ahead. You're like, I'm not sure the idea yet, but I need the mics. I need the equipment. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Beginner's, uh, beginner's mind. Right. Uh, and so what ended up happening is I, I got Emily's mic recommendations and I ended up, um, because I was, I was staying with my folks in Toronto at the time. I was so cheap that I had Amazon prime deliver the mics directly to my friend's basement where I was staying for the week for the first time when I was visiting Denver to meet Alana's family. Um, 
so that I would save on shipping. So anyways, I was... Scrappy. That's what you have to be. First time podcaster. First time podcaster. The night before meeting Joyce, Alana's mother, for the first time, I am watching YouTube videos, figuring out, practicing how to hold the mic so I don't make sounds, so that when I do meet her for the first time, I can, you know, it's only, you get that one shot. And so that ended up working out. Like what, what we hear in that first tape of me meeting Alana's mother is actually from that first meeting. Um, and then from there, I, I don't know how, how much time do we have? I mean, ultimately I think it was, it was, it was like really, I think if you squint, a lot of this was reaching out to people that I knew who knew more than I did. And then like, the generosity of them in helping me and steering me and pointing me to the right people. Um, I cut a pilot uh, episode, shared it with you, Tracy, because of your enthusiasm for it, you brought it to Donald and Tenderfoot. And that's what got that conversation. That's how that conversation got going. And, and so at every step, whether it was, you know, the production, finding collaborators, um, whether it was, you know, now in this phase, uh, you know, talking to, to press and figuring out how to get this heard. Uh, it's been a learning process and it's been literally people showing me and, and guiding me and, 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 and being generous with their knowledge. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's been the beautiful thing about podcasting. I think that is unique about this field is that it, it is, there is such a spirit of like helpfulness and, and, uh, and, and willingness to share and help. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end on. I mean, certainly what was attractive about working with you on this project was just also your willingness to learn and to be open and to ask questions. And I think that's just a great note for anyone who's looking to get into this business or any business, right, is to um, always be learning and surround yourself with really great people that you can learn from. So Thank you, Simon. I hope everyone out there will listen to Dear Alana, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I've always wanted to say that. Um, Thank you, everyone. Thank you.